Welcome to the Christian Coach Podcast, where our mission is to serve coaches through conversations so they can lead like Jesus. I'm Gian Lemmy, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Jim Good and Chad Simpson. Hey, guys. What's hey, up, Gian? Guys, this one, we're doing a recap again. Um, but this one, Jim, you weren't even a part of this podcast yet. Chad and I were still kids. And <laughs> when we reached out to this guest, we were just blown away when he replied, yeah, let's record a podcast. Our guest that we're going to replay our interview with this uh, this week is Todd Gongwer, author of Lead for God's Sake. Chad, do you remember a little bit of how we felt when, when he said yes? Yeah, I remember just celebrating through text. But, you know, as we started the podcast, we kind of had, we called it, you know, in, in God's economy, everyone is equal, right? And so we kind of made like an A list, a B list, and a C list, kind of thinking, oh, these guys are our famous big name down to the the smaller college. And we've had a blast interviewing the wide range of, of guests that we've had. But Todd was definitely on, on the A-list thinking, oh, no, there's no way. There's no way we can get some of these guys. Yeah, it was awesome. It was it was a great feeling. And I remember just rereading and rereading the book before to prepare for it. Um, now, you know, Jim, did you, you read the book, right? You, I, you've read I, it a few years ago. I did read, what, I did read what the were some book. thoughts that you got from the book? Well, number one, I did read the book. And if coach, if you're not out, if you're out there and you didn't pick up Todd's book, Lead for God's Sake. And number one, I just love the title, how you could play on that, of course. And he talks a little bit about how, you know, uh, he got that title and how that kind of uh, surfaced. But I, I took particular attention when uh, you were interviewing him, Gene, and talked about the acknowledgments and just the um, list of people that he wanted to include. And it just showed the power, the importance of community, the importance of connection and the people who are in your circle. And so coaches, you, you, you realize this, it's so important to have that accountability, you know, iron sharpens iron and have that circle. And if you're out there and you got a book in the back of your mind, don't forget to acknowledge those key people in your life. For sure. And, and, you know, for me as well, coaching NAI level, um, trying to learn as a 26 year old head coach, uh, his book was was huge for me, and and you know it's done so well with sales and and publicity because it it got to the to the point and to the to the heart of the matter, right? And you know just as a coach, you can think about the punishment. You can get on the line, do sprints, or you can you know here's more scholarship money. Um, and obviously, Todd's argument is how do we get to the heart of our student athletes? And so uh, such a such a good book and really great interview here. Fun to hear uh, Gian and and Todd go back and forth together. Yeah, I, I loved interviewing him. You know, I think he's probably in my Mount Rushmore of uh, fable writers, Chad. It's Todd Gangwer, John Gordon with the Energy Bus. That's another great leadership book. And then uh, Pat Lincioni, he's come up with some great ones. And then, Chad, you'll be the fourth one, you know. Oh, and Jim, 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 Jim is climbing the, the Mountain Rushmore right there. I'm not he's on, on that climbing. A list yet. Not on that A list. I'm still <laughs> see you later. Um, and so... It's just a great story. And even if you want to have a book club with your team, it's an easy to read book where everyone is going to understand the language, understand the message behind it. It was really, really good. I loved this interview and we can't wait to share it with you guys right now. Todd Gongwer, thank you so much for being on the Christian Coach Podcast. We like to start our conversations with a power question, and that is, what does it mean to you to be a Christian coach? Oh, that's a great question. And thank you, Gian, for having me on here first and foremost. But, um, you know, 
to be a Christian coach, I think is, um, you know, I always say our, our leadership is about influence. And the reason I guess I'm so passionate about even um, encouraging coaches and other leaders in that subject is because our call as Christians is about influence. I mean, really every one of us, that's where it starts. And I really believe when Jesus called the disciples, it was like, hey, follow me, I'm gonna make you fishers of men. He could have very easily said, I'm going to show you the right way to influence others. I wanna show you how to, how to help you let your light so shine so shines that they see your good work and glorify your father in heaven, ultimately wanting what I want. And I think as a coach, um, the beauty of that, you know, the beauty of coaching is there's an emotional aspect that's inherently a part of everything we're doing. And there are so many other things with commitment and dedication and selflessness and hard work and all those things that come into play with the emotional aspect that I just think coaches have an amazing opportunity to build deeper bonds. And so from a, from a Christian perspective, I think you have an amazing opportunity to impact the heart in a deep way eternally. So um, yeah, that opportunity to, to impact the heart as a coach should be there for anyone, but particularly as a Christian, um, knowing that, hey man, if, if I don't impact eternally, I've missed it. So that's, that's it. Yeah, so good, thank you. Um, I listened to a, an interview that you did with Jason Romano, where you said that you're supposed to turn 50 during the pandemic, but that you're holding back. Are you still, are you still 49 or did yeah. you end up turning 50? Yeah. I, no, I, you know what? 49. I said, I made the statement indefinitely. You know, we were, we were postponing indefinitely. And, and so, you know, even though we're, I don't know, seven months in now, whatever it is, um, six months in, I still think I'm going to hold right here at 49 and uh, we'll celebrate 50 some other time. So, okay. Can you, can you take us back to your childhood and your upbringing and how did you get to 49 now? And maybe how even um, you, you got to know the Lord. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I grew up in a, in a small town, um, you know, in the middle of nowhere, Wakarusa, Indiana. And, um, I actually um, grew up going to church every Sunday, every Wednesday. I mean, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I mean, we were, um, we, we didn't miss very many church services. So I grew up in a, a very fortunate, grew up in a Christian home. Both parents really, um, you know, just absolutely awesome parents that still to this day, I'm thankful I still have them and have an amazing relationship with them. So very, very blessed there. Um, and became a Christian, you know, as a young man, but, but really, um, you know, I think sometimes when we live, in, and especially for me, I mean, kind of a, I was in a throwback community where, you know, like the values, the Christian values that are biblical are pretty much the values, and were especially back then, the values of everybody. I mean, like, you just don't lie. You don't cheat. You don't, you know, I mean, like the common ones. So grew up in and around that, but it wasn't until really um, into my um, early 20s that I, that I really, really uh, got serious about my relationship with Christ, really came to understand the, the deeper, you know, really even going with the book, the difference between kind of the fear of God and just this God that's this hatchet, you can't do this, can't do this, or the, the reward, reward, you know, trying to work your way to get this and this um, versus it's about a relationship with Christ. 
And so it wasn't until really, um, you know, in my 20s, early 20s, that I started to see that more and, and pursue that more. And then, interestingly enough, uh, it wasn't until my early 30s until I actually kind of had the, the eye-opening experience on purpose and why we're here and really, I, I would call it another level of relationship, not only a relationship with Christ, but how central to that relationship is all of the relationships that he's put around us and living a life that doesn't compromise those relationships, doesn't come, you know, pursuits that don't come at the expense of those relationships, because that's, that's central to our call here on earth. So my whole life, um, you know, four, family of four boys, really competitive, like, you know, just typical boys running around doing all kinds of stuff, all very different uh, in our own right in terms of our loves, but um, still very interesting household. Family business, uh, my dad worked a lot, taught us a lot about work ethic and, and running an honest business and, you know, commitment, dedication, things like that. My mom um, is a saint, not only because she's raised four boys, but she is uh, just an unbelievably strong spiritual um, guidance in my was a, was a sp strong spiritual guide. And my dad was too, just in a different way. So, but mom is like just heart of gold. And yeah. so I had kind of the driving business side on one side and the, oh, honey, but you got to love people. You got to love, love, love. You know, so it was a good mix growing up. There yeah, was a little bit of a balance there. That's good. A little bit of both worlds. Yeah, for sure. Um, Talking about relationships, um, in your acknowledgement section, um, I've learned here in the last few years that you should really read the acknowledgement section. Not many people actually do, because then you get to know who that person really is and what kind of people impacted that, the author. Um, so when I was reading your acknowledgement, I noticed that you mentioned a lot of names um, and mainly a group of guys that you've surrounded yourself with um, that read the, the first few chapters of the book, the early drafts, but also that it looks like you do life with them in a consistent basis. Like how important is it for everyone to have a group of people around them as we go through life? And yeah, that's such a, that's such a great question and, and powerful um, in terms of importance. That topic right there, I think is so missing in society. I mean, like nowadays with social media, the way it is, even with a lot of the way our jobs are, you know, we're, we're a mile, miles wide and just a fraction of an inch deep anymore in terms of our relationships. And a lot of times we, we base somebody's success really on that. You know, how many followers do you have? How many people do you have that you, you know, and, and it's not that it's bad to reach, you know, masses of people in certain instances, but having a core group, a core foundation of people that you really can be honest with that will hold each other accountable you know, kind of the Joes that you surround yourself with in life. And there's no doubt a lot of the people that were mentioned in there. And in fact, there's, there's a number of the guys that I have, you know, I meet every Saturday morning. Um, we meet at 712, both, you know, really kind of significant biblical numbers, but we meet at 712 AM every Saturday morning in my office. And there's really no agenda. Um, we, we try to solve some of the world's problems usually, but we, we, we talk about prayer requests, what we're battling in our families and as dads, husbands, and um, leaders in businesses. And um, we pray for each other. And 
so you know a lot of times we'll talk about different scriptures you know but but it's just really it's very very uh informal just a bunch of you know seven guys six seven guys that get together every saturday morning and and come alongside each other you know group text praying for each other something's going on and and even those guys like in the journey that i'm on where i'm traveling around the country where i'm i'm put in a position a lot where all of a sudden i'm speaking in front of a group and i take it like very very seriously as a i want nothing but truth i am i i do not ever want to lead anyone astray i i so for me people praying for me when i'm speaking even in in 80 percent of the time my talks and 80 percent of my work is in public inst public institutions business you know public companies things like that small small portion are in churches or christian schools um i love going to those by the way so i need to get back to liberty one of these days because then i can completely say everything yeah. about, you know but at the same time you know going back to that group of people that we have that we can connect with on a regular basis and pray for pray with and have there as you know people that we know they're praying for us in those times yeah and now more than ever i think as we as we're in the times that we're in as a country um there's so much divisiveness the enemy is wreaking havoc in so many ways and um now more than ever we just we need to be joining up with Christian brothers and sisters and um, praying with each other, opening our hearts and, and talking through these things in a loving, humble, empathetic way and uh, figuring out ways we can get out and expand our love and, and uh, the gospel more than anything else. Yeah. Um, is that the reason for the, the name of the book, Lead for God's Sake, it obviously has two meanings there. Um, was that on purpose so that you could open doors, not just in the Christian arena, but also in the public sector? Yeah, it's interesting you say that, Gianni, because I, I, that came out like, like a year and a half before I wrote the book. I felt like I was called to write it, but I really, when that title was laid on my heart, I was kind of like, what's the book going to be about? Like, <laughs> what does that mean? How do that, that's a great name, but what's, because there's different, you know. Yeah. And as it turns out, I mean, like I said, I, I never even intended when I had the name, I never knew that it was going to be a parable. And um, so when the story unfolded like it did and came out how it did and followed that pattern of it, it you know, you can say it both ways. And it was said both ways. There's no doubt. I mean, like I just, you know, it was, a, it was kind of a God thing. And it does. I hear from people all the time from all different walks of life, all different, you know, places in their, in their faith journey. I mean, one of the coolest things about this book is how many different, I mean, I've had amazing conversations with agnostics, uh, people that are Orthodox Jew, um, you know, Baptist, Lutheran, Christian, missionary, Presbyterian. I mean, I've spoken about every yeah. different denomination, sect, church you could imagine. And the cool thing about the message, it's not that, that again, I don't want to give the wrong impression. Yeah. There's a foundation, as you know, there's a found, the foundation of truth is in yeah. that. And so, yeah. but it is done in a way that what people mostly tell me is like, wow, it meets you where you are. It meets you where you are and says, you need to rethink a little bit more about the relationship, this relationship thing and how, where your relationship is with regards to why you're here on this earth, why God has you here. And, you know, again, 
what your relationship is with with him and all those he's put in your life. So yeah, yeah, I think the name. There's no doubt it was all part of the craziness yeah. of how it came out. So it, yeah, it definitely met me where I was when I read it um, in my early uh, coaching journey. Um, so I was. I'm very thankful for that book. Um, you're also passionate about the effects of social media in today's teens and um, yes. society in general. You know, I just learned a few weeks ago that in, in Instagram, people are looking at ratios and I'm like, what is a ratio? It's like, oh, it's, I have a thousand followers. I get 10 likes. That's a bad ratio. Like their kids are look, doing math to see how much worth they have, you know? And that to me just breaks my heart. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that and maybe give us a few tips as coaches and parents and leaders on how can we help today's teens handle social media in a healthy way? Yeah. Um, yeah, you're, you're right. It's funny because about, you know, five years ago is when I kind of started the journey of really, and, and it started out, I started getting questions from a lot of different coaches. And the first, the first thing that I started, and again, you know, the, the kind of unusual part of my journey is I'm working with like coaches from every sport. So men's, women's, softball, tennis, you know, baseball, basketball, soccer, whatever. And the, there was a common theme that I started hearing a lot of like, wow, these kids are changing. And like more than they've changed in the last 30 years, yeah. in the last just three or four years. And I started hearing that more and more. And I was like, wait a minute, you know, and the old saying is, well, kids haven't changed, parents have changed, you know. <laughs> and it's like, okay, there's, there's truth to that. But wait a minute, you guys, what's going on here? Is there something bigger? And so I, you know, I literally, because I heard it so much, I started doing a lot more research and, and continue to even do my own research as I was talking to teams and coaches. And there is no doubt, I mean, when you look at the effects of, you know, the things that started, so the smartphone was released in 2008, I think 2012 was the year that 50% of teens owned a smartphone. That happened to be, this is a common stat, but that happened to be the same year that the teen suicide rate spiked higher than it has in any other generation in a year. Now, people are like, well, maybe that that's doesn't have to be, well, it, it may not be the reason. Yeah. But it just seems ironic that, you know, and because when you look at what it does and the effects of it and the things that I teach are, you know, number one, communication, uh, confronting kids, kids struggle confronting each other, attention, focus, kids really struggle. For, we all do. Yeah. So it's affecting yeah. us. Too. But the pre-adolescent brain, pre-developed brain, you know, which is developing all the way up to 26, we don't know what the effects of that's going to be because it's so much more malleable at that stage of life than my 50 year old brain is. So focus, um, working memory because focus is such a big part of working memory. Yeah. Abstract thinking. This is one that really concerns me because particularly because of my faith, my faith is an abstract, it begins with an abstract thought. You know what I mean? Like it is, it's a, it's not a concrete, you have to be able to go beyond like what's right here and think beyond that. And we need to do that in all kinds of things. And what they're saying is, is like the quick scrolling, quick switching from this and this and this, 
is really, it's basically um, inhibiting the brain's development because in the areas of, you know, depth. So we're moving to something new so quickly, we're not thinking beyond the headline, which how scary is that when you consider what 99% of media sources do with headlines. They are designed specifically to grab you. And so not to give you truth, not to inform you of anything relevant, you know, but to grab you because eyeballs now are money. And that's what the race is for. So, you know, that's a big concern and the agenda, you know, I tell, and, and when I teach it, I actually teach it um, under the guise of, uh, or, or the auspices, I should say, of, of um, digital media. And so, and the reason I do that is because it's infiltrated, like you're getting the same, you're getting a lot of the same effects on the TV shows that we're watching, the movies, yeah. the videos that we're watching, the video games that we're playing, the music that we're listening to 30, 40 hours a week on average of. And again, I mean, anything that, anything that goes into the emotive part of the brain, it's a fact that it, it that goes deeper. You go into the hippocampus and all these, like it, it goes deeper when we're, cause we're, we're just way more emotive than we are cognitive yeah. in terms of just quick learning stuff. So music taps the emotion. So when you're constantly listening to a, to a song all week long, that is that happens to be continuously telling you, you know, the sexual innuendos or the hate, hatred that is all of the things that are common. It's like, I mean, I, I remember, I, and, and I'm, I still, I mean, I love all kinds of music. Yeah. But the reality is music is, is having an impact on your brain. And so for me, yeah. all of these things are are impacting young people especially and now again because this is with us everywhere um the game's changed yeah it's no longer we don't have to go back to the dorm to watch tv or out to the movies to watch a movie yeah you know um you know or even to get just bad like really really bad content so to speak it's everywhere yeah it's accessible 24 seven. And so um, the thing I tell, you know, I, I really try to challenge coaches. Number one, you got to educate yourself on a, a lot of this stuff, really learn the statistics because they're out there, but um, help educate the parents, but also, you know, create opportunities as many as you can as coaches. Um, when we pull, when we pull a phone away from our kid as a parent, we pull their social structure away from them, the majority of their social structure. When we pull the phone away from a kid on a team as a coach, we have left their team, their social structure is intact around them. And so we give them another option right away, which is really powerful and important for us as coaches who want to build our teams. So for more reasons than just pulling it away. But again, if the kid doesn't understand that, that's why they're going up your old fashioned, your, you know, that's, again, when I, when I speak to coaching staffs or teams now, or even students, um, a huge part of my talk, my, my different talks are always 
at least addressing this issue right now because I think it is such a it's become such a big one and it's impacting the hearts more than anything else in our society today. Yeah. Um, now with all the social media, I feel like today's society reads a lot less than they used to, you know. Um, yeah. And and I found out that at some point in your journey, you wanted to read 500 leadership books. Um, what did you get to 500? That's my first question. Did you get to 500? Yes, I did. I because I only because I started back in the mid 90s. <laughs> so I was on a cliff. You know, I figured it out when I started that journey. I was like, okay, that's a book a, a week for 10 years. And so I really started keeping up with that clip. But um, as I got older, and especially as I had kids, um, family grew, other priorities. I mean, I just could not read yeah. at that clip anymore. But I still read, um, you know, I still, I would say, I try to read, a, you know, at least one or two books a month um, now. And um, so I'm still reading at a, at a did, did you have, as you're reading all those books, did you have um, strategy of, or how take notes on them so you could learn from them? Because that's something that I struggle with. I read a lot of books. I probably average about a book a week, but four weeks later, I forget them. It, unless I'm taking notes, you know, um, yeah. did you have any, anything like that? Yeah, I, I did. I used to, um, you know, they used to have, I'm sure they still do now, especially with the Kindle and stuff, but I'm up, I'm up, I gotta have a hard book. I, I just, yeah. I look at too many screens. So I, anytime I don't have to look at a screen, I don't. Yeah. But, um, I used to, I would take the underlinings and then, you know, like mark the areas and sometimes put a little note by it. And then um, I would have, you know, my assistant in a lot of cases, like basically go through the book and categorize them. So a lot yeah. of times, you know, sometimes I'd have them in categories where, okay, everything's on, that's on this, put in here and this, you know, and just put it on yeah. build documents. There was software yeah. to help you do that too. I've done, I've done yeah. that over the years. As of late, you know, probably the last eight, I mean, like really the last 10 years, um, I will go back over the, the highlights, um, from time to time. And, um, there's times when I definitely will copy pages out of a book or something and, and put it in a file that I want to make sure that I'm referencing or something like that. Yeah. But I don't do as good a job of it as I used to. I don't, but well, I, I also, I've slowed down. Um, you know, it's, it's, um, Again, kind of like the the friend, the relationship thing I was talking to you about earlier. I think it's very easy to get in, fall into the trap of going a mile wide and an inch deep there too. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of the books, um, it's not to say that they're not good books, but I just I really struggle um, because it's hard for me to read. I'm not a, I'm not a really good reader. Um, I, I I tell people all the time I, I really don't like to read. I love to learn. That's why I read but I, I just like depth, deep thought, you know, well thought through stuff. So yeah. um, spiritually speaking, especially, I don't, I gotta be careful how I say this. I want to make sure, you know I mean? Like there's a, there's a rush to become relevant today. Yeah. yeah. And I, I can appreciate that. But I think in a lot of cases we've done that at the expense of the, of the depth and, 
how the Holy Spirit works through our reading in scripture, you know, time and prayer. And, um, you know, I mean, like when I read Oswald Chambers um, or I read, you know, A.W. Tozer or, I mean, like some of these guys that you can just, you can tell that, that they spend the majority of their time in the word. They're not reading the Wall Street Journal. They're not reading all these other periodicals to keep relevant. Yeah. They were just in the word. And again, I'm not saying anything bad about, cause I, there's a place and a need for relevance for sure. But I, I miss sometimes the depth that I think our culture is craving. Um, and I think you're seeing the yeah. results of that in a lot of cases, yeah. shallow, shallow faith. That's when, when the deep issues of culture come to the surface, like they have so much in the last few years, especially, the depth of wisdom and moving in the Holy Spirit and being able to walk in that small space that's kind of, okay, I, I realize we need to love here, but there's still truth here. How can we walk in that balance of love and truth? Because there's both extremes that are really missing it. From my standpoint and where I read in the Gospels, yeah. my study of Jesus, there's there's too far extremes out there that you got to be really, really careful with. Got to be really careful with. Yeah. So, it, uh, Are there um, one or two books that you would recommend to a young Christian coach who's just starting on his journey, obviously besides your book? Um, are there any books that stood, stand out to you that you'd be like, oh, if you're starting a coaching career right now, this is what you need? Yeah, Inside Out Coaching is awesome. I mean, I love Joe Ehrman's Joe stuff. Joe Ehrman, yeah. Yeah, he's and and even his story of him, um, season I think it's seasons of life, whatever that's a great great story too. But, um, you know, John Gordon uh, writes great stuff. You know, um, the Carpenter Training Camp, um, those are two you know really good ones that he's wrote. One in the locker room, I mean, like he's yeah. he's great stuff. Um, Leadership and Self Deception is more of a business book, but it's a one of my top ten. Awesome. Just, and it's a parable. One of the few, I never read fiction, but that was one of the few fictions that I did read and loved it. Um, you know, I used to like a lot of Ken Blanchard stuff, yeah. Peter Drucker stuff, cause I, a lot of business yeah. stuff. So, um, yeah. you know, but yeah, those are, those are a couple. Yeah. One, one thing I've, I've come to find out as I grow older and, start coaching you know for more years is the importance of having feedback from the people that you lead you know i think co coaches and leaders always focus on giving feedback maybe sometimes they don't want to receive feedback and in the book the player named david comes to coach and really tells them what he thinks coach is doing right now and maybe the way he did it might have been really well I would have probably feel attacked first, you know, probably the same way that coach did in the book. But as the years gone by, I've started to realize how important it is to know what your, the people you're leading feel about you and what they think of you. Is that what you're thinking when you wrote that part or, um, because I think it's just so important for not us to just give feedback, but also receive them constantly. Yes. So, so true. And I think, you know, 
one of the main themes of the book, and I, I don't get this rarely, but once I say it, people kind of go back and they go, hmm, that was kind of, is self-awareness, you know, really trying to open our eyes. Because if you really think about the biggest part of your frustration, most people's frustration for the first two thirds of the book is, open your eyes, coach, <laughs> you're so stupid. But at the same time, if your you son wants like to play me, basketball, coach. Uh, yeah. But it's like, we've all, as a coach, we've all been there blinded, you know, blind spots. And we all have blind spots. So there's no doubt that was, I think that that was the tipping point of the story because, you know, for, for a number of different reasons, but I just think it's so important that we, you know, we're never going to, we're never going to see all our blind spots without help. It's just not going to happen. And so, um, you know, I, I just, when, again, once again, when I'm out speaking to staffs and, and teams, you know, that's one of the things that I'm talking about a lot. And especially with young coaches, I'm like, you know, understand that as soon as you get a little power and, and I deal with a lot of football coaches and basketball guys, but football in particular, I mean, these are, these are hundred plus million dollar enterprises that these guys are running. And there's a lot of power. And on top of not only running this huge hundred million dollar, you got millions that are watching and want a piece of you and are praising you or wanting to stone you. You know what I mean? You know, so <laughs> the temptation, you know, and especially I tell coaches all the time, like and this is the CEOs that I work with in um, business. I, I work a lot with one, you know, one-on-one -on -one CEOs and head coaches. And one of the things that we talk about is, look, the more your more success you have, the more challenging it's going to become. Because the reality is, the more you're right, the more you think you're right. Right? I mean, like, yeah. so if I win a national championship, yeah, correct. hey, and somebody comes along that has it and says, well, you really should think about how you're treating that kid. They're going to, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to walk away and go, well, you really should go get a championship ring and then talk to me. You know, because that's yeah. how you start to think because you have... You have how many people around you going, oh, you're great, you're great, give me advice, give me advice, give me advice. And the reality is, um, you know, we're, we have a lot of traps in our society that, that are false indicators of success. And, um, you know, followers on social media, wins, amount of money you have in the bank, the, the size of your house, the car you drive. Um, these things are not, they are not true indicators of a real, and again, I should maybe give a disclaimer, it depends how you define success. You may define success as driving a luxury car. Well, then I guess if you get it, you get it. But the, I guess the way I classify that is those are not indicators of a wise person, necessarily. I'm not saying there's not, because there are wise people that have won. Yeah. But I can't tell you how many people that I know that have a lot of those things that I walk away from shaking my head going, wow, the blind spots are so big and they don't want to know them. And they don't want anybody to tell them because they're, they're continuing along that path and the path of destruction behind them and relationships, misery. I mean, like, you know, there's so many other things in play, but so yeah, the, the self-awareness thing, 
is a huge part of just where my heart is with coaches and, and business leaders alike right now. Cause I think it's, it's just so big. Yeah. I think one of the, as I've become more self-aware of my blind spots a little, um, is that's, I, I always thought that if I wanted to be successful, I had to sacrifice other areas of my life, you know? It's like, oh, this coach is working 16 hours a week or 16 hours a day. I need to be in the office 16 hours a day. If not, there's no way I'm going to beat this coach. Um, and I think still sometimes coaches in this, and CEOs have, I just need to work harder and harder and harder, forget my family, forget time off. And um, is, that, is that what you see when you come to, walk, uh, to talk to companies and, and sports programs? There's no doubt. That's a, that's a big, it was funny because I had, I spoke just last night. There's a there's a group there's a, a group of MBA students that I that, that read through the book every year. Mm. In a certain leadership, they have a leadership sports class at at um, at Darden, and um, we were having the discussion on, you know, leaders that will specifically send an email out at 11:30 at night, and is that email. <laughs> because that person was bored or they were just really, or was there, was there an element of that of, you know, if I'm going to make sure that my email goes out at five 30, everybody knows I'm sending emails at five 30 in the morning. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I, the stories that I have in athletic departments and businesses, and there's no difference. There's a, they're all the same of people turning lights on, you know, leaving early, but leaving their light on. So nobody knows they left. <laughs> I know people, and it, as crazy as it is, I will guarantee you, I will almost guarantee you that it's, that it's in your, because it's in every, it's, it's in almost every office I've ever been in, where there's people playing that game because so much of our, our identity in some, for some crazy reason in our culture has been built on, you know, if you don't, it's either you have a ton of money or you're proving people that you're working harder than anybody else so that you can get to that. I mean, it's, and, and it's in the, it's terrible in the coaching world, terrible in the business. I mean, like, and it's, you know, again, it's coming at the expense of families and, you know, a lot of more important, important relationships. And yeah. uh, it's a, it's a battle um, with everyone, but um, yeah, you're, you're right. It's, <laughs> it's a blind spot. Yeah. And, I, and I'll just tell you, like, I'm a recovering um, and sometimes fall back into it, um, you know, because I was brought up in a home, you know, family business, and, and we did. We we worked really hard, and we put in a ton of hours growing up, but that was what you did. That was a part of how you, you showed that you cared about yeah. the company. And so I'm not advocating not working hard, yeah. but I'm also saying – Okay. do your work get it done and then go be with your family yeah. yeah well Todd thank you so much for being on the podcast um I've learned so much I've took so many notes um we like to finish every episode with asking you how can we be praying for you oh wow thank you that is that is awesome um you know just the whole journey that I've been on has been a very 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 unique when the book came out I I, I mentioned to you Gianna I I, it wasn't, I never intended to write it as a fiction parable. 
I had no clue that it was going to take me on the journey that it has, that this would be God's plan for it. So because of the way it came out, it's been very, very important to me that I just walk obediently. That's, that's been my prayer. So I honestly, I don't, you know, even this whole journey, um, I haven't done a good job of marketing. I haven't done a good job of, because what I said earlier on is I'm going to just follow where I feel like I'm supposed to go. And what, you know, people read it, companies read it, a coach reads it and they reach out. And so really just been a huge 10 years of steps of faith every year. And when COVID hit this year and all travel got shut down, all my sports teams, you know, I'm 70% of what I do or what, what I did do was in the college sports world, you know, and now, you know, like that, it was like, oh, you can't even go speak to these teams now, even if you wear a mask half the time. You know, it's like <laughs> some of these places, they don't want anybody outside on campus yet. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's one of those times where, you know, you just, you just uh, continue to try to follow God's, you know, desire for you in, in the journey like all of us are. And so my prayer is that I just uh, would continue to be obedient and the impact would go where it's supposed to go. So. Okay. Let me let me let me close these days, Hopefully we'll get one of these days. Hopefully we'll get back, like I said back to liberty. I got I got Richie McKay, yeah. Hugh Freeze, and I know a number of the baseball coach. I mean, like I got all these guys that I know, the great great fans of the book. I love these guys dearly, and I keep thinking, man, I got to get back to liberty. Come on, yeah. It, so that, uh, the athletics program, yeah. The athletics program has uh, grown rapidly here in the last yes. few years. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so let, let us, yeah. Let me close this out in prayer real quick. That'd be awesome, man. I'd love that. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for Todd. Thank you for his leadership and all the opportunities that he has to, to share your message with people in the Christian community and in, in, uh, in the public and secular communities as well, Lord. Lord, I pray that you help him to continue to walk obediently, that he will seek you first every day to know um, what the next steps for his life, his career are going to be, Lord. Um, pray that he will, you will also open more doors for him to continue to, um, to share your message, even in these COVID times, um, that, that more people will be able to listen to him and his message um, that ultimately will be about you. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen.